90.7 WTCC. Good morning. Welcome to the Spoken Word. Bishop Talbert Swan the second with you. And um, let me see. Let me see. Let me find out who's with me. All right. I need y'all to do me a favor. Chime in with your city or town. I need to know um, where y'all are tuning in from. Those that are watching us live on social media, on Facebook and Twitter and Periscope and stuff. Um, uh, hit me up. Let me know. Uh, where you coming in from? I know we got folk out here in the field. Um, that's what the young people call it. Um, I got Detroit, Michigan up in the house. Good morning, Darcel Wright. Good morning, Kang cousin there. Good morning, Nashville, Tennessee is in the house. Uh, my cousin Lisa Swan from the Shy, uh, Chicago, is up in the house here. Um, Reverend Jesse Burgess, Springfield, Mass. Here I got California in the house. I got Sam Walker up in the house today. Um, Daytona Beach, Florida, Panama City, Florida. I know y'all got good weather down there. Kathy Swanson, uh, good morning to you, Sister Swanson. Um, tuning in to us on this morning, Jay Hill. What's happening there, brother? Um, good to see you this morning. Uh, Tina, good morning. Sam Walker, good morning. Darcel Vincent, good morning. Uh, Willie Templeton, all the way from Ohio, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, is up in here today. Uh, Fort Pierce, Florida. I got Florida just all over the place today, huh? Oh, man, I, that must be telling me that I need to take a trip down to Florida and just enjoy some Florida sunshine or something. Um, uh, but Florida's all up in here today. Good morning to each and every single one of you um, that are chiming in and that are um, viewing the program. Tell a friend, tell somebody that the bishop is on the air, 413-736-2781. Share it with somebody up in here. Austin, Texas checking in um i knew somebody from the great state of texas had to be up in here today and already the phone lines are coming on and i haven't even talked about nothing yet good morning caller bishop swan yes you're on the air okay good morning good morning hey it is the first monday <laughs> and, and and i had completely forgot Senator Eric Lesser checking in from the State House here in Massachusetts. It's been busy for me the last two weeks, Senator. Man, I'm just uh, uh, all over the place. But I, but I'm glad I'm glad you're calling in uh, with your monthly update. So tell us what's happening uh, up on Beacon Hill. Yeah, well, good to hear from you. Uh, next time I see you, Bishop, I'll, I'll show you how to do the Google Calendar repeat. So you just hit and automatically tells you every month. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I, I, need, I need that help there. <laughs> uh, so everything is uh, is going well. I mean, we're in the middle of budget uh, season. So, you know, um, you know, folks who are involved in, uh, you know, different nonprofits, different groups, this is the time to reach out to us. Uh, we've been taking meetings 
uh, with community members for the last several weeks. The Senate budget will likely be releasing its draft this week, uh, and then the budget debate will happen in two weeks, the week before uh, the Memorial Day holiday. So it's kind of uh, everything's in overdrive right now to try to get the state budget done. And we had some big news uh, last week. The Boston City Council uh, came out in support of rail to Springfield, high-speed rail to Springfield, which is uh, a big game changer, getting getting our friends in Boston to acknowledge uh, some cities outside their jurisdiction is a, is a huge uh, a huge accomplishment, and we're, we're very grateful to them uh, for recognizing that. And uh, we have a big uh, big vote this Thursday on a, uh, on a hands-free driving bill, uh, which has been pending in the legislature for, for several years. Um, that's expected to pass and will likely be on the governor's desk by the end of the week. So a lot going on. Hands-free uh, and, driving. Uh, yeah, what, what, what's that about? What's hands-free driving about? Yeah, so uh, so great question. So the state already has a no-texting-while-driving ban, uh, but one of the pieces of feedback we've gotten is it's you know very hard to enforce, and the bill was passed at this point about eight or nine years ago when uh you know really the only thing you could do on your phone other than talk was text but now you've got people searching facebook people on instagram while they're driving and uh it's led actually to a, a big increase in accidents so so it's an expansion uh, the, the, where it's not just texting it's 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 all of the above correct so the it'll basically what it is is that you have to use a hands-free device you're allowed to activate hands-free you're allowed to activate for example a gps but once the car is moving uh you have to you have to use hands-free so um you know the idea here is is to you know try to there's been a huge increase in accidents fender bender you know everything is minor fender benders up to some very serious accidents because of distracted driving there were there were problems with the bill uh over the last few years that have kind of been uh, been dressed bit by bit, so the final debate in the Senate uh, will be on this thir- this Thursday. So people should should definitely tune in and certainly reach out to me if, if people have, have issues or questions. Sure, sure. Okay, what else is going on? Uh, so we had a big hearing last week on our student loan bill of rights, which I know you and I have talked about uh, a lot. And there's actually a, an issue related to this that I think is important for people to appreciate. I, w- I was over at a Hoyle Community College. Um, two weeks ago, I uh, had, a, had a really wonderful meeting with a group of students there. Uh, the president, Christina Royale, and her board put it together. Uh, they're doing amazing work, and there's a growing crisis we actually have on our campuses of student hunger, which I think is something that a, a lot of people um, maybe don't fully appreciate how serious this is. Because the cost of college has gone up so much, you see young people uh, who are actually literally just trying to make a decision between paying their tuition bills and paying for food. Uh, so they, they talked to me about an open pantry program they're, they're running there and some outreach programs. So we're going to try to get them some more resources in the budget this, this year to fix that. I, 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 no one should be going hungry. The idea that our students would have to decide between paying, paying for their school and paying for food I, in the 21st century in America I think is, uh, is is pretty abominable. So I wanted to take some of the airtime today to just get that issue out there because I think it's important. Absolutely, absolutely. When does the um, when are you all out of st- out of session for the summer? Uh, <laughs> great question. So we're this is sort of overdrive season for us. So we're gonna the Senate will be doing its its budget uh, the the last week in May before Memorial Day. Uh, and then usually the week after Memorial Day is fairly quiet while everyone kind of digests the budget. 
then it actually gets very busy in June and July because we do the overrides of, of the governor's vetoes. We try to get the last-minute policy items that have been lingering done. And then we go into recess uh, in August, and we'll come back, uh, come back into session uh, usually right after Labor Day. So uh, it's kind of overdrive for folks who have items that they want in front of us. You know, you've got basically until July 31st, and then, and then it restarts uh, after Labor Day. All right, all right, all right. Well, it's a good thing, uh, that thing where the Boston City Council is uh, endorsing the high-speed rail. I think that's important in order to kind of shift um, at least the opinions of of the Eastern Mass legislators um, in that direction. <laughs> um, I often tease them, and the last time I was there in February, I talked about the Commonwealth of Boston, and, and told them that uh, it was important that they realized that the Commonwealth extends west of Boston. How'd that go over? <laughs> well, you know, I had the mic. You know, I was speaking before the right. Black and Latino Legislative Caucus, and so there wasn't much they could say in, in debate of it, so I had a captive audience. <laughs> well, that's that's always the best way to do it. <laughs> but, I, I mean, in, you know, on a serious note, though, you're right, and I think what we really need to stress and, and what the Boston City Council's resolution actually pointed out is we have complementary challenges, and if we work together, we will be able to solve both challenges. You know, the gentrification in Boston, the absolute skyrocketing of housing prices there, no one can afford to live in, in let alone Boston, really the whole metro area within 495 has gotten so expensive. You know, normal families can't can't afford it. We have a, an inverse challenge, which is we need more high-paying jobs. We need our economy to grow faster. If you connect both regions, first off, you're going to create thousands and thousands of jobs building the rail, uh, and then you're going to create tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of jobs um, with, by, uh, by spreading out those economic gains to more regions and more areas. The connection between transportation access and inequality uh, is, is underappreciated in this country, and especially in Massachusetts. Massachusetts, because let alone across the state, even within cities and within regions, access to bus lines, access to train services is the ticket people have to getting employment and getting good jobs. So, you know, I view this as intertwined with a bigger debate we're having, for example, around PVTA funding, which every year uh, is a battle, and we're going to have a battle about it this year again to prevent cuts to those routes. So uh, we need to we need to really you know, we got to hit the singles and doubles here and there, new programs, new new initiatives, uh, you know, to, to try to get help where we can. But we also need to step back and we need to look at the big transformational changes we've got to make to make sure our state is being is lifting everyone. Absolutely. Um, appreciate you calling in once again. As usual, we want you to give your contact information if anyone needs to get in touch with your office. How can they do that? And um um, um, kind of uh, give you their yep. concerns or connect to the things that you're already doing? So you can go on my website, senatorlesser.com, which, uh, again, senatorlesser.com, uh, which has all of my, uh, all of my uh, contact information on there. You can also call our district office, which is 413-526-6501. Again, 413-526-6501. The email is eric dot lesser just my name eric dot lesser at ma senate dot gov uh, we're also on facebook twitter instagram you name it so 
uh, people can reach us at any of those channels, and uh, either myself or someone from our team will, will get back to you ASAP. Senator, it's always a pleasure. Thank you for calling in and giving us the update. Uh, thanks, Bishop. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. 413-736-2781. So this week, uh, Facebook and its subsidiary, Instagram, this past week, banned a number of um, white supremacists and conspiracy theorists um, in what they consider their effort to rid itself of um, um, figures who push hate. Um, um, and so uh, it dealt with people like um, failed congressional candidate and anti-Semite Paul um, Nalen, uh, InfoWars founder Alex Jones, um, uh, Friends personality Paul Joseph Watson, uh, the internet troll Milo, and I can't pronounce the last name, is Yanpolis or something like that. Um, and just so that the white supremacists would not complain, you know, that they were only banning, you know, far white um, hate mongers, Facebook threw in Minister Louis Farrakhan um, so that white folk would be satisfied because you know they were going to say what about Farrakhan and we know that there's a distinct difference between anti-black anti-non-white bigotry and white supremacy as pushed by all of those that I named and the truth about white supremacy and bigotry as espoused by Minister Farrakhan Um, big difference between the two uh, but they threw him in there um, so they would um, you know kind of quell the uh, the complaints from the right about all their right wingers um, being um, banned um, you can still um, catch Minister Farrakhan on Twitter um, his, his account is still active although they've taken his blue check uh, his verification, they, they notable figures and such, they, they give a blue check to. They took his blue check which uh, some months ago, which was ridiculous, as kind of a so-called punishment for being an alleged anti-Semite. Um, and basically, they're trying to silence the minister's voice. Um, and they're trying to silence the voice of many people who... Um, who oppose white supremacy uh, in this nation. Um, now, the provocateur, the hate monger in chief, uh, got upset, not because of Minister Farrakhan, but of his white supremacist buddies getting banned. Um, and he went on a tweet storm um, complaining. Uh, he was furious. Um, and in his tweet storm, he included me. Just this little old Springfield, Massachusetts preacher um, in his little tweet storm complaining about right-wingers getting banned. Uh, he started off um, 
by claiming he was monitoring and watching the situation. Um, and he called it the censorship of American citizens on social media platforms. First of all, the government has nothing to do with it. These are private companies. It, it, his monitoring means nothing. Um, and, and, and he's he's upset because these are pro-Trump personalities. Um, and, and he came out talking about um, Diamond and Silk, even though they weren't um, involved in the ban. Um, but, you know, their nonsense is always being debunked. They're running joke on social media. I mean... You know, the, the other day they were on talking about <laughs> talking about Congressman Cohen from Tennessee was being racist by bringing a bucket of chicken in so he could mock Attorney General Bill Barr for being too chicken to show up and testify before Congress. So a white dude is being racist against another white dude by bringing in a bucket of chicken. And these idiots were too dumb to figure out that Fox News was being racist by bringing them on the show to talk about fried chicken. I mean, they didn't see any contradiction. They didn't see anything racist about this white network, racist network. Bring We're going to bring in our black commentators to talk about fried chicken. Oh, boy. I'll tell you how they tried to come for me as well. <laughs> um, um, and so Trump kept on tweeting out stuff. He tweets out stuff from white supremacist sites. He tweeted out a link um, to a Breitbart article, um, talked about conservative thinkers like James Wood being banned from Twitter and Paul Watson being banned from Facebook. First of all, James Wood, who's, an, who's a subpar D-list actor, but he's now a far right social media amplifier. He's just a bigot on social media. He wasn't banned, but he was locked out of his Twitter account until he deletes a tweet um, uh, using the hashtag hang them all. See, there's a difference between telling the truth about white supremacy and calling for people to be hung. Yeah. Y'all see the difference? Um, and, uh, but, but Trump is out here championing all these bigots, um, infowars and and Islamophobic scapegoating and uh, all kinds of stuff. Um, he, he's out here um, retweeting white supremacist sites and stuff. And this is the president of the United States of America. And his supporters don't have any problem with it whatsoever. I mean, they, they they don't seem to. I mean, so what if he if he if he uh, amplifies the tweets of alt right Nazis and white supremacists and um, you know uh, far right bigots and it, you know no big deal, no big deal. I mean, he retweeted Lauren Southern, a far right YouTube personality with ties to the U.S. Uh, and you and the European alt-right white supremacist movements um, um, even GQ had reported uh, the Italian Coast Guard detained Southern along 
uh, with others who believe Europe should be for Europeans um, um, for their white supremacy. Uh, And these are the type of people that the president is amplifying. Um, Then he turns his attention to me and this crazy um, right-wing white supremacist um, supposed actress um, I'm not even going to call her name because she's just that unimportant, had tweeted some foolishness about when my Twitter account was temporarily suspended last year, last summer. And you, all, some of you all will remember, last summer um, um, somebody had tweeted to me that I should follow Candace Owens. Candace Owens is a black woman who used to work for Turning Point USA, who has embraced white supremacy. Um, She's one of those token black folk who talks bad about black people. um, And so white folks like to prop her up uh, to say, see, I didn't say it. She said it. She can't be racist because she said it. And just they think just because black folk parrot white supremacist talking points, it's not racist. Uh, And so somebody told me I should follow Candace Owens. And I said, no, thank you. I'm on a no-coon diet. And they called themselves permanently banning me for saying that. Now, first of all, when a black person uses the word coon, it's a completely different context from when white folks call us coons. Okay? When we talk, when we talk call somebody a coon, we're, we're calling them basically a sellout. Somebody who is a traitor to their people so that they can embrace and push white supremacy. You know, so like the folks who snitched on Nat Turner, we would consider them coons. But in any case, uh, my account was suspended for two weeks, uh, and and amongst uh, many protests and advocates who pushed for me to be reinstated, that permanent ban turned into a two-week suspension. So this crazy lady keeps talking about how, how James Wood got banned, but Twitter let uh, Bishop Talbert Swan back on. And we're talking about something happened last summer. But every time some alt-right crazy white person gets suspended, they bring me up. And Trump decided he was going to amplify that. So Trump retweeted this garbage um, um, dealing with... Um, my suspension and reinstatement um, to Twitter. <laughs> Amazing that this guy has the time. You know, he's supposed to be the leader of the free world. He's supposed to be dealing with foreign policy and a number of other things, but he's got time to be uh, caping for and advocating for white supremacists to have their access reinstated on social media so they can push a pro-Trump message. It's absolutely amazing. 413-736-2781. Now, what's also being amplified is this notion that black people somehow can be racist. That black folks who condemn white supremacy and anti-black bigotry are themselves the true racist. Jerry Falwell said that about me not too long ago. That 
Only a true racist calls people racist. Um, um, see, you got to understand, a man, a slave, could not hate the whip that he was being flogged with, but then be expected to love the person that was doing the flogging. And 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 that's what white folks want. They want black people to hate systemic racism and our oppression without holding the white folks who perpetuate it accountable. Um, and so I find myself many times in the presence of whites in that position that black people shouldn't have to continually find themselves in. Always being accused of being, and I get accused of being a racist by liberals and conservatives. Um, um, black and white. And I found myself having to explain my existence as a black person and why the system does not favor people who look like me. I haven't said this. There are a couple things I want to address. Well, three things I want to address. First of all, the notion that the oppression of black people is ancient history and that black people are using the oppression of their ancestors as an excuse for their failures today, which is the most ahistorically asinine thing um, that can be said. First of all, think about this for a moment. When the civil rights movement happened during my par- when my parents' generation were adults, were young adults, it happened in their lifetime. My parents are still alive today. We're not talking about ancient history. We're talking about people alive today who faced dogs and water hoses and segregated lunch counters and segregated schools and, 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 and lynching and all of that. We're talking about people alive today whose brothers and sisters were lynched and murdered by white folks. We're not talking ancient history. We're talking about a current generation right now. Black folk got the right to vote the year I was born. So, uh, Billy, Becky, we're not talking about ancient history. We ain't talking about our ancestors like it's some 20 generations ago. You, we talking about my mama and daddy. My father is the grandson of slaves. We're talking about people alive today whose grandparents were slaves. So in the scope of history, this ain't something, you know, that's so far gone that black folk aren't affected by it today. I haven't said that. Two other things I need to address. First, I've lost patience continuously explaining what it means to be privileged to a white person and why black pain is valid. It's valid. And then secondly, 
you got to understand that black people have a right to express and voice, give voice to their pain. And our pain does not require validation from white people to be considered legit. We don't need you to validate our pain. We don't need you to agree with or co-sign the black experience in America. And just because you say it ain't so, don't mean it ain't so. You can't invalidate somebody else's experience. And if your arrogance as a white person is blinding you from seeing this, then you need to do some introspection. You know, our brothers and sisters of a lighter hue have to stop being so quick to jump on the victim bandwagon, always accusing black folk, why y'all always got to be the victim? And the truth is, the folk that are claiming victim status the most in America today are white men. But they jump on the victim bandwagon and they accuse black people of being the racist. Listen to this and listen to me clearly. Black people cannot be racist. Yes, I said it. Black people cannot be racist. We never had the tools of power to institutionalize racial oppression against white folks. So the next time you as a white person want to accuse black people of so-called reverse racism, and first of all, you, it's racist to even use that term because reverse racism means racism in the proper direction. Forward racism is white folk being racist against black folk. In other words, you're saying that's the way it's supposed to go. And so reverse racism or backwards racism is black folk discriminating against white folk. That's backwards. That ain't the way it's supposed to go. You, you don't even see the inherent racism in the term reverse racism. So the next time you want to accuse us of reverse racism, check yourself and check your privilege. All right? Learn how to stop equating our need to speak out against racial injustice with us being angry black people or with black people wanting to punish white people. We have never had the time or the energy or engaged in the collective effort to hate white folk. If we hated white folk, Man, y'all would be in trouble. If black people ever acted on their pain in a hateful way, and y'all know we don't hate y'all. That's the reason why every time a black person gets murdered by a white supremacist or a police officer, y'all always got a microphone in the family's face asking if they forgive. Because y'all know black folk are forgiving people. And matter of fact, in my opinion, we're too forgiving because we ought to hold these white supremacists accountable before we ever have any conversation about forgiving them. Let them go to jail first. Let them be tried. 
Let black people process their pain and get the microphones out of our faces asking us if we forgive you for murdering our children and our mamas and our daddies and our loved ones. So no, we've never had the time and energy to put into hating y'all. We've put our time and energy into fighting for our emancipation and our complete freedom, physically, mentally, emotionally, and otherwise. So please stop trying to silence our voices because you're going to fail at that. Black pain is valid. It demands to be felt. It demands to be processed. It demands to be heard. Okay? Um, now, let me help you here because I know, I know, you know, some of, you know, our white listeners are, are incensed and throwing stuff at the radio right now. Um, saying, what do you mean black people can't be racist? Now, let me help you. Blacks can be prejudicial towards whites, but not racist. What do I mean? I'm glad you asked. Um, let me first define the words that serve as the premise. Prejudice and racism. Prejudice refers to a positive or negative evaluation of another person based on their perceived group membership, which can include their race. Racism, on the other hand, refers to social actions, practices, or beliefs or political systems that consider different races to be ranked as inherently superior or inferior to each other. Furthermore, racism is a socioeconomic systemic structure which promotes one's race's powers over another. And socioeconomic is an operative word. And you you have to agree that black people do not have and never have had the resources to impose oppressive structures that enforce their superiority over white folks. They've never had that. White people, on the other hand, have and do. And they have imposed these things on black people for over 400 years of slavery and colonialism. So black people can be prejudiced, but they can't be racist. And quite frankly, we're tired of having to deal with white people who have this inclination to play you're the real racist card. We're tired of that foolishness. Y'all can take that down and to Hades somewhere the energy and time invested in in you even voicing such a ridiculous statement should really be focused on understanding how whites can alienate themselves from their privilege and what is the source of our anger and they're always alienating themselves from their privilege and by doing so um they only conflate the entire issue. Good morning, caller. You're on the air. Yes, good morning. I uh, just want to weigh in on this subject you're talking about now. Um, 
Matter of fact, you're right into it. And um, there was a documentary that was on uh, probably a couple of weeks ago that I can't think of the names of the young fellow that he checks on that genealogy of people and um, family trees. And he was mentioning, and I think the topic of it was um, uh, America after Reconstruction. And if the average person could look at that and kind of visualize that and listen to exactly what they're saying and what you're saying right now, uh, you're well into it. And, I mean, you're very knowledgeable. And, uh, matter of fact, I'm going to give you my name right now. My name is Zach Tillery, and I talk to you all the time, and I've I've met you a few times. But I just want to let you know, as far as knowledge and passing on knowledge to, to our people and our communities, uh, they need to really stand up and listen and, and face facts instead of coming up with a reason why they can't really come up and, and agree with things that's going on and face up to it. The only way you're going to uh, really resolve anything is you got to come to grips with it first, and then you got to realize what's going on. And if you don't do anything about that part of it, then right then uh, there's something actually wrong with us is to stepping up to the plate. So. Thank you very much for your time, and uh, keep up the good work, sir. All right. Thank you for your call. 413-736-2781. 413-736-2781 is the number if you want to chime in on the discussion with the time that we have left. I I just wish that that white folks would try to understand our pain. We don't need you to affirm it. We, we don't need you to validate it. It is what it is. But if you tried to understand it um, and free yourself from the prison of privilege that it has taken centuries to construct, then America would be a better place to live in. Um, I mean, the exclamation of such bigotry that black folks are also racist is incited by white arrogance and ignorance. I said it's incited by white arrogance and ignorance. And it's about time that we unpack all of the clueless vitriol that comes from white folks when we dare to talk about black pain. Good morning, caller. You're on the air. Morning, Reverend Swan. You're on the air, sir. Good morning. Good morning, sir. I just want to say to you, without you, Springfield would be empty of information about what goes on in the black community. I want you to know you rank as number one, no matter what anyone says. And I'm proud to know you, and I'm proud to listen to your station every Monday. And I wish you was on five days a week. You're kind, sir. I appreciate you. Hey, you're the best. Thank you. Thank you for your call. 413-736-2781. Brothers and sisters, we need to reject the notion that the blackness of our skin absolves us Um. Um, of the right to be angry. We have every right, every single right, to talk about our pain and to be angry about our pain. 
Good morning, caller. You're on the air. Uh, Bishop Tabitha Swan, thank you uh, uh, for uh, having me on the air this morning. I uh, appreciate what you do, um, sir. I, I listen to you and also follow you on Twitter. I will say this, that uh, the things that you say are on point, uh, have nothing to do with hate, but uh, are true. And um, the thing is, we have very few leaders, very few uh, bishops, very few pastors um, that are taking your role in stepping up to the plate um, to speak the truth about racism and white supremacy and what it is and how it affects us. So I just thank you for what you're doing, brother, and uh, continue to do what you do, and um, uh, God bless. All right, thank you for your call. Good morning, caller. Good morning, caller. You're on the air. Um, yes. Um, Turn your radio good down. Good morning, Talbot Swan. Good, um, good, good morning. Say, um, One moment. Turn your radio the down. Information that you give out too, because I'm a avid listener to um, YouTube, and I listen to Carnell, um, Yvette Carnell. I listen to Tone Talk. I listen to Black Truth. I listen to Black Authority, and you're all of that for the Springfield area. And also, I just wanted to say how. Um, White America, they always say we're lazy, and they always say we always want government handouts and everything. But now let me let me pause right there. Pause right there for a moment. Anybody that I know, the pa- government always pause right there for a moment. housing. Pause right there for a moment. Pause right there for a moment. So okay. when 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 you talk when they talk about black folk being um, lazy, first of all. Um, you don't enslave people um, and have them work uh, for free uh, for over 200 right. years and then put them on the plantation as sharecroppers and then employ them in all of the hard work that it takes um, 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 labor to do and then call them the lazy ones. And then right. the all of the government programs that are out there they were never created to benefit black people. Welfare, right. Social Security, none, none of these programs had black people in mind when they were created. They, had, they were all created for white folks who wanted the so-called handouts. Right. Yeah, they always say, oh, we want government program, we're lazy. When we try to do something, they tear it down or they, you know, dismantle it. They, they got land, they got free land, they got free suburbs they got everything and if that's not government handout what is it and we just if, and if we do get anything it's just a measly little crumbs of um a 200 check or a few little food stamps you know compared to what they've gotten thank you thank you for your call 413-736-2781 you know when we express our pain it's not the time and, and this always happens um um, I wrote something about um, the history of uh, the black struggle in America, and a Jewish gentleman commented, talked about, uh, well, what about, you know, um, those um, that are alive in in our families who experienced the Holocaust, and, and we're not complaining about this, and we work hard, and as if to say black folks don't work hard and all we do is complain. See, let me help y'all, because when black people voice their pain, that's not the time or the platform for white folks to also voice 
your pain, your so-called pain, in comparison to ours, which you're only doing so you can dismiss ours. It's also not the time for you to put out your opinion about our pain. We don't care about your opinion about our pain. What you really need to do is learn the importance of respecting context and what's appropriate at what time. You know, when a woman is raped, she's comforted and efforts made to give her justice. You don't tell her, oh, you know, um, you ain't the only one who's been raped. But that's what they tell black folk. And they come up with this white supremacist fallacy that Irish were slaves too, which they never were. They were indentured servants, um, which is completely not even comparable to American chattel slavery. And I find the white arrogance disgusting to, to, to think that you can chime in on the conversation about black pain in the first place. Good morning, caller. You're on the air. Yes, good morning, Bishop. Yes, sir. Um, I just wanted—I just wanted to uh, say how, like, how this plays even locally here. Like for years in the city of Springfield, uh, community residents have been getting locked up for selling marijuana. You have people on probation and parole paying uh, probation fees for selling marijuana in order to be on the street, and now all of a sudden they want to bring in legalized drug dealing rich white corporations can earn money off of the, the back to make of money off of what uh, off of what we've been completely disenfranchised for what our families have Absolutely. been torn apart for and then here's the thing then they want to come to black organizations and say you know what because of the state requirement um, that we be somewhat philanthropic in our proceeds. Um, right. We want to give you all some money, so we want to put in our application that we're going to benefit the Girls Club or whatever the organization is, as if to say we ought to be happy that you're going to give us some crumbs off the table from you making money off of marijuana when my daddy went to jail for it. Jail for the and, 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 and locally how even the mayor and this present city council and how it's constructed have been... Um, really um, uh, uh, easy in letting these things happen to the community. And they're talking about, like, um, looking into trying to help people who have been arrested. Are you going to pay the people back? You've been paying probation fees and parole fees to stay out. I think think every single black person who got caught up in the racist war on drugs, because that's all it was, Every single one who got tagged with a mandatory minimum sentence for a nonviolent drug offense and spent years in prison ought to have their records purged and they ought to be compensated um, as well before one rich white corporation can make a dime off of selling the product that you criminalize to destroy black families. Like yesterday, Bishop, they had a um, a meeting at the South End. You know that those people called the meeting for Sunday at 12 o'clock? You know why? They're so deceptive. 12 o'clock is when most of of our community, particularly, are in church and, and with family members, and they called this meeting to open up a, a marijuana cannabis shop in the South End. Now, they have spent years 
uh, clean up the South Bend. They used to call it the Hollywood section. And they've gotten rid of gambling and all that stuff. But here's the trick. They, they took all the gambling out at MGM. Now they want to open up a marijuana shop. So now that you're legalizing gambling, you're legalizing drug dealing, and rich white people can get richer, now it's okay. And the tragedy is uh, the mayor has put a, a black face to sell a uh, cannabis shop. They're going to be having a meeting at Rebecca Johnson soon to tell us the benefits of uh, marijuana being sold. They want to get training to keep people out of grow seeds and stuff. Well, well you know, you, you, you know what you're saying is, is critical because now the two prong the things you're saying about cannabis are absolutely on point but even before that happened remember the softer stance everybody took about um opioids now when when black folk were strung out on heroin and and crack and all of that it was a war on drugs tough on crime when all of a sudden white young white people in the suburbs who had got uh, hooked on prescription drugs and couldn't afford them and turned to heroin and and other opioids uh, all of a sudden it became a public health crisis and and we literally had police departments that would refuse to arrest white folk uh, for drug use and would automatically bring them to detox and uh, all this and now it's a national health crisis that Trump is talking about and that's because the face of opioid drug abuse has turned from black to white and now the same thing is being done with cannabis well one thing I want to say Bishop and this is why um, um, I'm going to take the opportunity to say to you on your show that I've taken out nomination papers to run for city council to be a voice for the voices in our community. I'm running at large. I'm not running against nobody. But I want to articulate some of the injustices that are going on in the city around the opioid crisis and the cannabis crisis. So I'm looking to get some signatures, get my name on the ballot, so that we can begin to talk about these things that's important. Because if you look at the city council and how it's constructed right now, you don't hear one voice of opposition any of the things that we just talked about and you just talked about. So I'm looking forward to running. I'm looking forward to winning. But if I don't win, at least we can get this on the agenda so that poor people and black people and brown people who have been discriminated with this drug opioid crisis and now with the cannabis crisis, there are a lot of people in opposition. Because as an addict myself, from the disease of addiction, I know that marijuana kills the brain receptors, There's a, and they didn't even go to any doctor to get doctors, see what the doctors in the healthcare, medical healthcare still have to say about marijuana, recreational or medical. Why didn't the Health and Human Service Department have doctors? Why didn't they have these things in our community where we had doctors? Completely.